0: Hey, guys, welcome back to another edition of The D Detour Live. It's obviously the last episode for 2021. It's going to be such a shame to say goodbye to such an amazing year. I'm your host, Dan <laughs> Jones, joined, as always, by a four-time national road champ from Australia, Johnny Javaro. Johnny, uh, did
1: you have a good Christmas, mate? Did you pace yourself? Yes, yes, I, I actually did. I had to because my grandkids are growing up and they're putting a bit of pressure on I'm Not as good as I used to be. But we had uh, my four kids... Ten of my 12 grandkids and a few of their partners, they're growing up now. I think we had 20-something for lunch under the big tree uh, at home. Just a wonderful day. Although by the end of the day, when the beer pong started and uh, all that, it got a little bit ugly. But hey,
0: great day. <laughs> tell you what's ugly. Your glasses
1: are crooked, mate, for starters. Get, get your affairs in order. These are the spare glasses because today I had to go to Mitchelton to pick up some of uh, it the Gambia to pick up some of the supplies. And I managed to leave my glasses there. So you've been punched in ones. the face. <laughs> oh well. Right.
0: We've, just, we've decided to do another best of uh, we've got so many great interviews uh, over the journey. Um I'm not gonna get emotional on this episode because uh, we're not gonna be showing the Alan Piper grab. Uh, which always cracks me, uh, but what, what we thought we'd do is we, we go through some of the interviews. We've got Dave Brailsford or Sir Dale, Dave Brailsford that we spoke to just after they won the Giro in 2020. Uh, CJ Sutton's in there, Matt White, uh, Christian Vanderveld, um, Jamie Anderson and Bernard Mormon when they talked about, you know, uh, really inspiring stuff uh, around career paths and mentorship, but I thought I'd kick things off with the interview we did with CJ Sutton. Because this happened a lot on this program, where you would stop the show to tell a story that, that ended up just being about yourself. So I thought we'd kick things off with a bit of venom, Johnny.
1: Well, I just thought we might uh, uh, hit the uh, Delorean button and, and, and go back a tad because we're talking about. Uh, uh, so you want to play that something. little sting, do you? Play <laughs> yeah. It? Okay. Well,
2: well, we're going. We don't need roads.
1: All right, <laughs> oh, Johnny, you fired it up. I love it. I love it. So, uh, CJ, you said you're not you're just a normal human, but you're not because you're a Sutton, and the Suttons aren't normal humans. And I can remember <laughs> first time seeing your old man, uh, and it was uh, Australian titles at Centennial Park, 1971, and he was uh, a junior, and I I didn't know much about him, uh, and I remember watching the junior race because we started straight after at Centennial Park, and your old man. Just creamed him. He just rode away, and he used to have that pointy style. His feet pointed down That'd be strange. But gee, boy, could he pedal that bike? And he almost left the field. I thought, wow. Anyway, they How's a go again, John. It probably does. Well, <laughs> the podcast people can't see that, but that's how he <laughs> rode. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and then we went, we went down to Tassie, and I think he was still a junior, and they gave him a special start in the Tour of Tassie. And it was the year that was. Five days, right around. Donnie Allen uh, won that one, if I remember right. I think I read second or third. But um, your dad, uh, he, he went about two days. And I think whoever's looking after him, you know, a bit young will we'll pull him out. So I remember him saying, he loved my old man. He said, oh, Mr. Trevorrow, do you have any room for my bike in your van? I had a, I had a van. said, so, yeah, no worries, Gary. So I wrecked the bike in the van. And after about a day, he comes up to dad, he said, Oh, Mr Devoro, we've found some room in the other vehicle. We can put it in because Gary did the whole five days, uh become a handler, I think. And we Dad could no, it's fine, Gary. It, it stay there every day. No, no, it's fine, Gary. I was riding his front wheel. Someone else was riding his back wheel. And I can't <laughs> remember someone, someone had his rear
0: derailleur. <laughs> <laughs> he pitched all his stuff.
1: Yeah. And I remember years <laughs> later he said to me, gee, you were damn as good. He carried that. I said, Oh, yeah, and I told the story. Oh, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Did I you have a question, remember? John? Yeah, well, we'll get to that. We'll I'm just you setting the scene, mate. The scene. Okay. Get the so, popcorn. I mean, my, my last Sun Tour, uh, and it was Shane's, Shane's first Sun Tour, and they're only three-man teams. So Shane uh, and a guy named Peter Phillips, that's the older brother of Jason Phillips, and myself, we were the, we were the team. And first, da- first stage, we were coming in to finish at as Marshall. we been up over Mount Masson with the only team with the three riders. And uh, I remember Sefton and Dumps, big arch rivals there. I said, and I'm actually giving Shane his uh, instructions of how to leave me out coming into town. And as I'm talking to him, he punctured. So uh, I won the stage without him. So I've, ne- I've never let him forget it. But he's never let me forget that in the next stage, the same day I did my knee and had to pull out, so I only did, <laughs> didn't even do one day of that. Sud tour. So, so mm-hmm. any questions, John? So you still to that? We're just talking a bit, we're sitting to see you're talking about yourself. <laughs> no, we're I was talking, talking about him. his dad and his uncle. okay,
0: but you're also talking about yourself, mate. Come on,
1: bay crits. <laughs> <laughs> It, Dan always has to go up here for mentioning the Bay Crits. I can't help it. But when I... Oh, I, I love the
3: Bay Crits. Hey, come on, Dan. Come on. Okay. Okay.
1: Now Thanks, it's, CJ. We need a
3: little
0: sting for the Bay crits, <laughs> Aussie, <laughs> Aussie
3: Sprinter. Aussie Sprinter. Come on. Oh, we all yeah. love the Bay crits, mate. It's the best mate, way to start. I'll, I'll give
0: John credit. The Bay crits in its heyday was the Ducks nuts. It was, it was okay. the best, fastest crit. Um, it's obviously getting harder to get the the caliber of talent that you used to have because well, obviously it's getting hard to change. put the damn race on these days. Yeah, so that uh,
1: that kicks, kicks things <laughs>
0: off with a, a very common theme. Where Johnny, you get into these stories and you'd be like, "Hey
1: Chris, oh, yeah, but bakery. it was about the Suttons. It was about the Suttons. I mean, just was the part that, I, that they were part of my life. So you're very harsh, but that's normal. That's fine. Yeah. I can live with
0: that." Anyway, well, one, one of the other good things we talked to CJ about, he obviously raced a lot with uh, Sir Bradley Wiggins. Uh, so we picked his brain about what that was like and, and what made Wigo so bloody good. Yeah. But, Ken, oh, you know yeah. this was, was that the first stage race Wigo had won up until that point?
4: Yeah, it was. There you go. There, yeah, you know, I can and that. Yeah, you're well done, yeah, you Dan. Just, did. Did. just yeah. give yourself a And, and, and you're you,
1: first, first and second. But he, he wasn't—he uh, he wasn't letting the hometown boy uh, take old victory there, was he?
4: Mm. No, no, he wasn't. But then every, everybody <laughs> wanted to ask him. Everybody wanted to ask him about whether he was joining Sky for the next year, and obviously the deal was done. But he had to do the right thing and not giving it away. And he's, you know, being a classic smartass that he can be, Wigo. He responded just, you know, with saying, "Yeah, we've signed up for the sports package and the entertainment package. We've got the movies for the kids." <laughs> <laughs> So, like, yeah, he didn't care. It was great. I like yeah. loved it. He was like he was when you did a press conference and Wigo was there. It, he always got something, even mm. if he said nothing. That was the story. It didn't matter yeah. what else happened. He was always able to deliver a story. It was great, and that's
0: why he's so good down the media because it's just an evolution it's of awesome. who he's been. Like he doesn't have to change anything. If anything, yeah. he gets
4: more confidence. Yeah. No. What so. was he like to travel with CJ?
3: Oh, he was awesome for me. He was a, he was a really good mentor. Um, I used to room with him quite a lot, especially, like, early days, like in Coffitus and and then at Garmin. So, yeah, I used to room with him a lot and used to pick his brain. And, yeah, we just had a great time. So he's um he's just a, a top bloke. He's just raw. What you see is what you get. And, yeah, like if, you know, you feel honoured and privileged when he takes the mickey out of you. So he's, you know, if he doesn't take the piss out of you, then, you know, you're not, you're not doing anything right.
4: <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> if not the piss, from he, he doesn't
1: Dan. like you. When I take the piss out, Dan, he, he doesn't feel honored That's at love, all. Dan. <laughs> I don't care,
0: especially when it comes from you, mate. <laughs> but what I was going to say with Wigo is, what is it about Wigo that made him such a big champion in the end? Obviously, you've got to have the horsepower, but you spend so much time and a lot of cycling is above the shoulders. Was there any sort of major clues that he left behind that you were like, he he was always going to do that?
3: Uh, Yeah, I I think, like, it was his mindset. But I I think the main factor was, um, it's not because he's my uncle, but, yeah, just uh, Uncle Shane. Mm. It was his weapon. Mm. And, you know, it's like anything. As soon as he spoke, you know, you go back to that that Sun Tour stage or, well... You Know, I lost the first stage in the Sun Tour that year in the Herald Sun Tour, and you know, the first thing Uncle Shane said to me was, Young Kersey Pooh beat you like he's 42 years of age. Hmm. He goes, What's wrong with ya? And I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Are you- Look at this guy's palm area, like, <laughs> well, <I'm- laughs> a legend? <laughs> you know, coming out on the next three stages I, I felt a bit embarrassed it's <laughs> like, young cursy boo like if I'm going to lose a stage to someone it's like yeah. hey, look at this guy but yeah it's just you know it, he's you know there's a lot of athletes I was going saying earlier you know there's a lot of stuff that probably happens behind the teams not just in cycling but in a lot of sports mm. and general stuff change of management this and that but Certain there's coaches that you have that if you don't buy into what the coaches you know trying to trying to achieve um, not 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 for the coach themselves like the results he's trying to help you get results so if you don't buy into what the coach is doing you're not going to get results mm. so you know and uh, you know you, you have a look at my old man like with with Team USA at the Olympics I'm so proud of him you know because all the athletes you know, they're, they're bought into what he wanted to do and he's totally changed that whole organisation. Um, mm. You know, there's a lot of people like, and I, I'm an Aussie through and through, I you know, I bleed green and gold, but, you know, I support my old man and, you know, Team USA, I was so happy for him um, and I, I was barracking for them like in the events that he was in. Oh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Mm. Um, I was too, mate. I was too. There, well, there's a lot of stuff that people don't see for the fact that, Like a few months ago, two or three months ago when it was cold in Colorado Springs, I got video footage of on my phone of the athletes trying to get into the velodrome. They were digging out the snow. Mm. Like they could not get into the velodrome. The whole team is out there, coaching staff, athletes, everyone. They're trying to dig out all the snow so they can open the doors to get in and train. Mm. So, you know, that's dedication. That's athletes just going, no. You know, like they could have said, "Well, you know, we're not training today." But they're mm. like, hey, "We're here. We're on a mission. Oh, this is what that. we're doing." And you know, <laughs> if, if like, I, I should send you the video, but mm. oh, love, if, yeah, do if, do if people sharing. don't know, people don't know that people don't see that.
0: We're gonna ask a question, Keno, before yeah. you gotta head off.
4: Yeah, that's, I, I love that story. That sort of mm. stuff, it's the stuff that people don't see. And everybody's worried about uh, humidity and heat acclimatization and they're all digging out snow. Yeah. That's an awesome story. But just yeah. one, I one more Wigo question for you. And you spoke about your Uncle Shane and buying into the, to the coaching program. When you were with Wigo, say, 2008, obviously your uncle saw something in Wigo that a lot of other people didn't see. But at that point in 2008, did you really think that Wigo could win a Tour de France?
3: Yeah, I did. Um, I actually did. So because I, like, because I room with Wigo quite a lot and I got to see a lot of the training he was doing and the power and I'm just going, this guy's a freak. Just, you know, the stuff that he used to do in races, what he used to do to help me out, leading me out when I was in confidence and when I was in garment, just the horsepower he used to have. And nothing ever happens overnight, but yeah. you can you can train that. And, and that's what they did. So, and all this training stuff that we used to do, even at Sky with all the, all the power stuff and, you know, long distances, um, you know, as I said, you got to buy in. Like my uncle made me do these efforts one day and I was like, I was just doing these 3K efforts on the flat and I'm just going, this is ridiculous. But then within three weeks time, you know, doing these four 3K efforts on the flat, You know, I increased 50 watts for the effort. It's not much, but in the scheme of things, in three weeks, like when you're doing these four 3K efforts and you've gone up like 50-odd watts, it's quite a lot. It's a marginal gain.
4: No, it's more than marginal. I'll buy that 50 watts any day of the week. That's right. I would
0: now too. Yeah, Yeah, CJ Sutton was such a fantastic interview because he speaks so well. But um, he made some great points there. Like, he obviously spoke about his old man, but um, his uncle Shane. I mean, how big was Shane Sutton in the whole success of Sky, particularly in those that really dominant period from, you know, when Wigo won the tour to, to the Froomey
1: days? Well, not not just big. No, no, Dave Brailsford and Shane Sutton together Come up with the whole idea and work together. So they were equal partners, and they went to Sky. They got this whole thing together. So Shane wasn't just involved; he was the he and Dave mm. were the original guys who made Sky Team happen. Mm. And there's a fantastic doco
0: on Bradley Wiggins' journey to to win the Tour de France in 2012. And there was like a, an amazing scene when Shane ripped Bradley a new one. I think it was in. 2011 or it was when he was a bit off the rails and he said to him like you know what are you doing don't waste my time like if you're serious about this you do everything I say there's no ifs or buts that's <laughs> it and sometimes it's, it's it's a balance isn't it you know between being that sort of hard ass or being that compassionate type it's the yin and the yang and, and when we spoke to Sir Dave Browsford well I think we should kick off Johnny before the, you do,
1: before you do, I, I, I've got I, I got a lovely uh, text from Dave Brasford overnight, actually, uh, just saying because it's him one a couple of weeks ago. But as you know, Dave has just been made uh, general manager of not just the Ineos cycling team of the whole Ineos sporting uh, 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 regime, and it is. Absolutely, The, the cycling team is actually a small part of it. Yeah. They are a third owner of the Mercedes Formula One team. Mm-hmm. They own, a, 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 I think it's Nice something Nice football team. There's the, uh, uh, the, the yacht racing. You name. Know, they're in so many different sports. And so Dave Russell now moved up to all of that. So I just said him a little message you know but and a merry christmas he said a lovely message back today and it was it was uh thanks mate hope you have a great christmas let's hope 2022 is you know great and he said and England is shit at cricket.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought we'd kick things off by far. Oh, you've just dropped your mic. Your glasses are gone. Your mic's over. It's back. It's back. England's shit at cricket and (laughs) your polish with the podcast is about on par. But um, (laughs) the best bit by far, if he, I just just want to show this snippet, is when we asked Dave, because Dave doesn't talk to media. I mean, he's a bit of a closed book. Like, he doesn't do many podcasts, he doesn't talk to Aussies. Uh, that much but we asked him you know we we said thanks for coming on the detour and this is by far the greatest bit of that whole interview
5: um the reason i'm quite happy to come on here because you both played a big part in this sport and you both contribute an awful lot you know and i know that so it's um it's a real pleasure for me to be able to come back and uh, and, and jump on here with you guys um because i admire what you do i really do
0: and that's it for the show folks we're gonna leave it on a high <laughs> hey, <bro. laughs> But uh, no, no. One, one of the best grabs was when we talked to um, Dave about they just won the Giro, and it was about the evolution um, because they were such a serious, almost robotic team. And then you could see in the content they were producing, you'd see in the post-race interviews that they were actually having fun. Um, so we talked to him about that. Going to say, Dave, you said you were going to do a full review at the end of the tour after the Giro. Is that review
5: going to pop up and go? Yep, yeah, we're still pretty bloody good. I don't think we've ever stopped thinking we ever stop thinking we're all good. I, th- I think, uh, to be fair, <laughs> we've got some fantastic riders, you know. And that's the that that uh, in the end, it's um it's it's about your riders, isn't it? But mm. I, I guess you know we were um ten years in, and you know we worked in certain ways, and you know we're getting older, and and you you sometimes think mm, are we are we just kind of doing what we always done, you know, rather than getting some fresh ideas and new voices, being challenged. And um, so I think that kind of review is always a, a good thing. I mean, it's been great to be able to bounce back. You know, we like always. We, we people like to give us a lot of shit, you know, and um, and mm. I get a lot of shit. <laughs> we get a lot of praise too when we do well, but but we um, yeah we uh, we get challenged. But it's nice to be able to. You know, we have got a strong will. You know, I think the, the one thing about us is we'll keep on adapting, we'll keep on learning, but you never break our will there's no mm. never ever break our will that's not gonna happen and so when you you know after the after the tour is a question of bouncing back mm-hmm. and then G crashed on the second day and that was like a real wow okay that's can't believe that's just happened but then you bounce back again and and then of course yesterday you uh, know little Richie Karapats took the jersey in the welter um so all in yeah, all, all right. of, um you know, we we're doing okay. We're doing okay, I think. But um, you've always got to, you've always got to, uh, you can't just rest on your laurels. You know you've got to keep pushing and keep challenging and keep checking and um, and I think that's part and parcel of, of trying to go forward. And I think you know there's nothing there's nothing better than a good old you know when you get when when you lose everyone again you get a good old you know kick in a bum as it were mm. and it shakes everybody down and you think right wow okay we've got to go again. And and I think that's um, part of sport, really. And and you get those moments where you've really got to shake yourself down and go again. And I think that's what, you know, we've had a little bit this year. So hopefully it spurs us on to greater things.
0: Yeah. Well, Dave, we always ask um, special guests on this show, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. People are looking for motivation, inspirational stories and that. What can you give the people out there that that are going through a bit of a tough time from what you've learned on your incredible journey, mate?
5: Yeah, so I think one of my favorite little things is, well, I've got two favorite little things, really. Um, one is, I, I just like the phrase bend like bamboo um, because you know you're going to get under pressure. And, and when that happens, you think, okay, just bend like bamboo and just, just hang in there, hang in there, and boom, it'll snap back. It'll come back. And it always does, you know. So that, for me, resilience is bending like bamboo and it's not snapping. It's like a twig, and you, you take the pressure and all of a sudden you snap and um so i think it's just that flexibility to know oh, okay this is a it's a bit tough at a minute we'll bounce back it'll definitely bounce back and um and i think the, the idea that um you know tough times don't last in the end you know and and, um, and 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 tough people do and and it's i think i think it's just temporary you know and, and we just got to stay with it stay positive um and i think the other thing is this pandemic with lockdown i think um there's nothing better than community and um, a bit of camaraderie, you know, laughing with your mates and talking to people. So as, as difficult it is to to stay in touch with people, and you know, see people face to face. I think making that extra effort to still communicate with people and chat to people, pick the phone up, do what we're doing here. Um, I think that's a that's a really important part of the human psyche and um, something we should all continue to do. Uh, sensational, fantastic.
0: mate.
6: Some
5: great yep. words.
1: That's now you're talking about the human psyche. I, I'm gonna uh, have to have a bit of a go at you here, Dave, because um, Dave suffers with a form of agrophobia. he's scared of spiders. And one of the reasons he doesn't come to Australia is because his yeah. whole family is scared of spiders. So, how's yeah. that going? Have you address that, mate, because we want you out here.
5: Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story when um, I was down at the Commonwealth Games. In uh, in Melbourne, with uh, Shane Sutton and all the guys, and we were staying in the houses there, and there was a like a big sort of glass patio door which separated, um, you know, two two of the rooms. And we came back, and there was a huge kind of all this screaming and shouting going on, and um, and and basically there's a huntsman spider on the patio door, and it was like. <laughs> It was a horrific-looking thing. I've never been so scared in my life. And Shane, bless his cotton socks, went up and grabbed it by the leg. He just grabbed it, grabbed it off the window by its leg, dangling from his leg. Yeah, don't worry about that, mate. And, And what he did was, he went and you know everybody's like couldn't believe what he did. And he went round and there's a wheelie bin at the front of the house, and he put this massive spider into the wheelie bin. And then next morning, we were sitting outside and Ernie, I mean, you'll know Ernie, our mechanic at British Cycling. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he came out and Shane went, hey, Ernie, uh, oh, do us a favour, mate. I think um, I, I think I've an inner tube. And I think I threw it and that wheelie really been there. You wouldn't get out <laughs> for me, would you? <laughs> He'd open the Benny's head he's digging around the thing, and his massive
2: smile. Massive... <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I was petrified just watching. It.
0: Great insight, he... no uh, Tiffy. Sir...
1: No one would have known
0: that Sir Dave is petrified of spiders. But
1: <laughs> well, the funny thing was, I was try. I was trying to get him out. They were coming out for the Sun Tour one year, the whole Sky team, and I said, Dave, come on, come out." I said, Jerry would love to host you. We're coming into Mitchelton. You know, he said, and he, and he said, "Look, in, in, in all secrecy, we've got this problem, and he he's getting spiders, and half his, because he's put it onto his family." And I said, "I'll never tell anyone." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
0: well, one of yeah. the other interesting. <laughs> Uh, insights he had on his interview was um, about how he's finally realised that you know it was all about also having fun, you know, with the with the team and the writers and, and all that sort of stuff. So if you haven't seen the interview, go back through the archives, watch the interview we did with uh, Dave brasford and then another really good um, episode we did was with Jamie Anderson and Bernard Mormon. Now, for those of you that don't know who those guys are, um, Jamie's a professor. And he's mentored a lot of, um, you know, current riders, former riders. Um, He's worked with Mick Rogers, Alan Davis about, you know, really shaping their careers. And and Bernard Moorman um, had a cycle centre in in, um, Belgium, helped a lot of young riders. Um, But the insights we got from those guys, because, you know, these guys are the experts when it comes to, you know, professional development, but also looking at the sport from a a different set of uh, glasses. And that's what we love about the show is, you know, sometimes you bring on guys that just give you that different perspective. And,
7: and this was Jamie's insights on what Dave said on the podcast. A couple of things. Number one is what Dave Brails was started to understand is what Bernard just alluded to, right, is you can't sustain high performance for the individual or a team if the team is not enjoying what they do, if the individual doesn't enjoy, what, because otherwise it's just work and that becomes a grind, right? Bradley Wiggins, he did his time with Sky and what did he say? One tour to France, never again, because it's not fun. I don't want to sacrifice my life to this. And, you know, we saw in Dave Brailsford interview with you guys that he's, he's reassessing that, that they need to bring enjoyment in. But equally, what Dave Brailsford started to understand, and I think a lot of people have started to understand because the insights you brought Dan, through Backstage Pass is the importance of chemistry in a team and the importance of not having assholes
0: insight there from uh Jamie but uh what,
1: what a, well that, that's a, it's a good it's, it's a wonderful point but um that last point is you know so it, it, it's so right so real yeah. because you know you get an asshole in a team oh and yeah it it it, it 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 permeates so get rid of him he's spot on no, 100%.
0: And we've had um, Jamie and Bernard on uh, the podcast since they've launched their hotel, uh, which is the Flandrian Hotel. There's a website, flandrianhotel.com. Fantastic spot if you want to get up to you know the Tour of Flanders area, right in the heart of cycling. Um, they're doing a great job there. Also, they've got the art gallery. I don't know if they've got a piece as expensive as the Mitchelton, uh Aboriginal art that I think what was that up to? Five and a half mil. That was a running joke that probably should have had a clip. I should have clipped up all the prices uh, that you ran through <laughs> for the two years. But um, one one thing I like when Bernard was talking was, you know, he was talking about when he was mentoring young riders coming over to Europe. And he used to come at it from a different angle. You know, a lot of the teams and stuff is is just on performance, whereas Bernard was, it was all about character and longevity and thinking about things after cycling. But uh, you, you've you spent over 20 years, you know, mentoring and, and helping particularly young cyclists, if you said in the intro, with the cycling center in Belgium. Um, what, was, what were some of those key themes that you were trying to work on with these these younger guys?
8: Well, simply put, it's I asked why they wanted to come over and why they wanted to do what they want to do. And for a lot of guys that you know they have an idea of becoming a professional cyclist, but that's not the real why. And I think you really need that to overcome all the difficulties and, and also to to see this as a part of your life, not just the life. And I think that's part of the reason why transformation gets so hard later when you just not you, you're, when you're only thinking about, hey, I, I want to be a professional. So I think that's the hardest thing to overcome. Why are you doing it?
7: Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a good point, Bernard. Um, in mean, the Tyler Hamilton interview, you know, Tyler talked about the fact that, you know, when you're a, a young cyclist under 23 and you're trying to make it, your complete focus is on making it as a professional, right? So you're not you, you're in no way thinking about what might follow or later in life and, and probably for very good reason because you need that focus. However, the real issue comes, you know, when they, are, they then make it, they become established. And, and the reality with pro cycling is there is a use-by date on your career, right? And the interesting thing that then starts to happen, or the question that we ask is, well, once they're into that pro contract, they do need to remain focused on performance. However, it's almost like the industry discourages them from thinking about life after cycling. Um, and one of the reasons for that is well, we think there's a bit of a what what's called the myth of distraction. You know, riders are told if you start thinking about your life after cycling, you're gonna be distracted from the here and now. And and Bernard and I, we don't really and, and the people we've met and we've seen who've done it differently, we don't really agree with that, right, Bernard? Yeah, no, I I, I totally think
8: it's it's not that way because I literally lived with all those guys and then let's say it's a hard day that's 4 hours of training and a few hours of eating and and cleaning up your bike so there's a whole lot of day that you need to fill with something so why could not could you not think about your future then because otherwise it's a pretty boring thing and it's good when it goes well but just think the moments it does not go well and you have nothing else to think about how hard is that
0: yeah, fantastic insight. As if he scales down some of that fresh white.
1: Too quick for me, mate. Too quick. Hey Mitchell, on this beautiful stuff. <laughs> but 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 like
0: what what these guys talk about was was it really had a cut through because it works. Like um, as I said, Jamie works with Michael Rogers. We've had him on the show a number of times, and and you look at the progression in his career at the UCI. Um, and this is stuff that people that are watching or listening can take for their everyday lives. Jamie makes some really good points about finding out what your passion is, what you're good at, and Michael Rogers, as he's about to talk about, was a great case study in that because a lot of people get to a point in their career where they go, I'm actually comfortable now, but it's not quite where you want to be if you like. You know, there's times where you have to go, I still need to make a tweak or a change, and Michael Rogers did that by going essentially and creating his own position at the UCI.
1: Yeah, oh, very much suck. So.
7: Yep. Uh, so here's Jamie talking about the work that he did with Michael Rogers. It's amazing, you know, if we look at what he, what, what Michael did, and I think he's a case study actually, you know, because he he left the sport um, and what we've seen is, you know, the last couple of years he was with NTT as a performance director, right? Now that was really following his skills. Michael Rogers is the time trialist, the, the expert on training techniques, aerodynamics, technology. He went into that. But... Although Michael loved the team and what it stood for and everything, he wasn't really fulfilled because what we started to understand was that that role wasn't really tapping into his true talents. And in spending many hours talking with Michael and exploring possibilities, what we really understood about Michael was that this guy at his heart is a curious person. He's obsessed with learning, right? Just learning, absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. And the other thing is since he was like 13 years old, Michael Rogers has been a technology nerd, right? He loves computers. He loves the way that AI is evolving and virtual cycling and all that stuff. So what we started to understand that this guy actually is a visionary, you know, and and, he, and the other thing about him at the end of his road career, he was a, he was a road captain. Why? Because he's got amazing leadership capabilities. So If you see what you had, Michael, on the show just a few weeks ago, and what's amazing to see is he took the time to really understand his talents and then to say, you know what, this would be my dream role, right, where I could bring all these talents together. And what has Michael done? Michael has actually gone into the UCI and he's pretty much written his own job description to align with his talents. So for me, that's just inspiring to see what someone of his capability can do when he combines that work ethic he has as a pro with his real talents and what he's now doing with that. And now he's reaching an incredible influential, you know, role in the world of cycling and he loves it, right? So I think that's a great example of, of how riders can do it right.
0: Hey, if he we've spoken to a lot of successful Aussies on the world stage in cycling, you know, you're Alan Pipers, uh, Matt Whites, Luke Roberts, What do you reckon it is, John, that is giving Aussies that sort of edge on on the world scene?
1: Look, I think it's partly because it's such an effort to go from Australia to Europe and base yourself over there, uh, you have it's a commitment thing, you know, whereas a lot of, say, uh, POMs who come over, you know, they can just duck home, you know, but it's a commitment and they, these guys are committed to it. And I think that, Rob, uh, uh, comes through. But one what, what of the real interesting things that's come out of listening to the conversation with you guys, for me, is... The teams really should look into this situation of of helping riders, but that's not going to happen. They're already definitely out running the team, getting the money, and they're all about performance. It's really a role of the, the UCI that should have uh, uh, put in place uh, people to to help pros look at the future and the and the transition. So, um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's, it's a challenge, but I think the UCI needs a, a specific person to be... In, in, Bernard, you
0: yeah, yeah. you, you've got the example of Michael Rogers, Bernard, why don't you go out and create that role and away you go, mate. UCI,
8: you know, transition coordinator. <laughs> well, in a way, with the cycling centre, I was, I was doing it that way, you know, and I got laughed at in the beginning. But at the end of the day, I wanted to let talent in young guys blossom. And hopefully there were cyclists, but if not, then it was something else, you know. And I think in the teams, once, if you think about the professional teams, that's too far in the chain. Those guys only have money to get performance. And in a way, that's what they sell to their sponsors. We go to win, we go to win, we go to win, 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 win. And that's all what they're talking about. But it needs to come earlier, so maybe federations... But also the entire dynamic of, of cycling, I think, should change a little bit where you really start talking in the beginning how hard it is. One of the first things I always said was you're one crash away from a job at McDonald's. You know? <laughs> but, you know,
7: it's, you know, it's interesting that then, you know, John, I'm not sure it's a job of the UCI, you know, I don't know, but you know, I mean, Bernard and I actually, we, we're actually at the moment as we speak, we're actually developing a, a, some webinars actually to offer for the people you mentioned earlier, right? People who are suddenly finding themselves into the contract then they're going to feel at, at, at a loose end. I mean, Bernard and I, we, we mentor people individually but actually, the, the the demand for this right now is massive. So we're actually got some stuff in the pipeline where we're going to actually be offering to teams and to riders some of this kind of stuff specifically on this topic, probably before Christmas. Um, but you know, I think actually if we look at the parallel here, I think the teams are missing a beat because if you think about the top TSA consulting firms, you know, the McKinseys, the PwCs, the Accentures, what why do, why does top why do top talent go to those companies? because they know that they're going to get developed, right? They're Okay, they're going to work like hell. They're going to give 110% of their energy. But what they understand is those organizations are going to develop their, their expertise, they're going to de- develop their knowledge, and they're going to give them a network for later on in their careers. So I think actually the pro teams are missing a beat because if they really want to attract the best talent, the most motivated, the most intelligent, the most, you know, committed, then offer them a little bit more than a pay packet, you know? I mean, look at what Green Edge has done with culture, right? That's amazing. You can attract people with the right environment, but why not also attract people with the promise that you're not just going to develop them as riders, you're going to develop them as human beings to launch them into their later lives? And I think that could be, you know, an added value that would draw talent to these teams
0: you think that's a good point, Johnny, if you're oh, off of the
7: Yeah,
1: no, exactly right. I mean, I, I was talking about the UCI really being the, the the group that would make the teams do exactly what Jamie was talking about. But, uh, yeah, wonderful stuff. It's amazing. All right, we're going to have a drinks break. Top your
0: glass up, Johnny. And when we come back, we're going to have a bit of fun because, geez, when we had Whitey and Christian Vanderveld uh, chatting about the early days of Garmin, it was bloody hilarious. And there's one story in particular that Christian talks about when he had the leader's jersey. Stay tuned.
9: Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. It's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them all looking at it people from here there and wherever this is people that are looking for a bike or just a piece of it amateurs semi-amateurs and pro amateurs this guy wants this bike but with this crank and these bars this could be the perfect match but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never
2: just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Life is like a two-way street. It's about consideration and mutual respect. Roads are much the same. However you get around, walk, ride or drive, if we share our roads, we can all be safer. The Amy Gillett Foundation is Australia's peak cycling safety charity. Our mission is for safe cycling in Australia. Our vision is for zero cyclist deaths. Over the last year we've seen an enormous increase in people taking up cycling whether it be for recreation, with the family, commuting or even to start your own cycling career. We need to do more to make it safer for every cyclist. 20 cyclists every day are hospitalized and one cyclist is killed every 10 days on Australian roads. So The next time you jump on your bike or hop in your car, remember to practice the four C's. Be courteous, calm, considerate, and conscientious. Every cyclist's death is preventable, and we all deserve to get home safely. Please donate to help the Amy Gillett Foundation make the roads safer for you and for me.
0: Massive thanks to Bike Exchange and the Amy Gill Foundation. Without uh, those guys, we wouldn't be able to do a show. Uh, now, back to a regular guest who's been on the program. We've got to send a big shout-out to Matt White. You know, he's been an integral part of the Detour podcast. And being able to get daily insights if he, you know, races like the Tour de France and to take the time out for us is bloody incredible because, you know, that's 20, 30 minutes a day when you, you're already under the pump with logistics, it, it really has lifted the show to another level.
1: I agree. It's sensational. And Whitey is that a superstar. <laughs> and he's back here in Oz for the first time in a couple of years. So it'll be great to uh, catch up with him uh, in the next couple of weeks. So, oh, yeah. And, and look, it's just been so much fun to, uh, as well. And I'm sure, because we get him first thing in the morning, uh, then he goes, ah, oh, Jesus, those bastards, here we go again. But... He loves every bit of it.
0: Yeah. And and a really funny episode was when we paired him up with Christian Vanderveld and they obviously uh, worked together at Garmin. Um, and what what is incredible um, is the fact that Whitey finished racing then went straight into a DS role on a pro team that were in over their heads. He was 34, I think, at the time. So here's some insights on the chaos that was Garmin in 2008.
10: And why, why did you ever like look back and think of two thousand and eight like how the hell did I ever you know write this ship that whole year I mean it was completely disorganized i mean you''s your first year so even if you let's if you were going to sky or any else even even the team you're on right now if you've going to Mitch and sky right now with how organized they are as a young well you're thirty four years old right thirty three thirty four ah uh,
6: yeah thirty four and, and tw- yeah
10: yeah so I mean it was a, a complete i mean it was it was a shit show a lot of times let's, yeah let's let's be yeah. honest it, it was it was completely unorganized but you, you somehow ride a ship especially through the Tour de France and the lead up into that it was it was a lot do you ever look back and think like how in the hell I got through that
6: yeah I do uh, and look I tell you the, the person that I did lean on a lot in that in two thousand and uh, two thousand eight there was was Shane Bannon actually and uh, Shane was you know Shane I had a good relationship with Shane and and I just retired and. Uh, there was a couple of times there that I, I talked to Shane, and I, I was I was really at the at the limit at one stage from walking away actually, because because it was it was a lot of stress. And I, I did feel really responsible for the group that we had in Europe, and I wanted to make it work. And we just got I suppose we just got on with it. And I suppose the one thing that I did uh, did learn from that year is I d- identified really good people in the in the organisation. And look, there's a few of those people who I'm still working with 15 years later, and uh, or identified those people kept them with me at the key races and it was a young enthusiast enthusiastic group and fortunately for us we had a great core group of riders and you know when you when you're winning uh, you can forget about a lot of things and uh and we got through 2008 and year by year the team improved and with did become experience and money and and we got things done but 2008 was a very big jump into the unknown and uh there's big periods of two thousand eight. I don't remember because it was pretty stressful, but uh, it was a ball, and uh, I had to do it with a, I had a great group of guys. I could do it with and, and yourself and Julian and Dave and Ryder. It was a great group of guys to work with.
0: What, what can you elaborate a little bit more? Like, what causes the major stresses, particularly of that year? Is it the logistics? Is it like you know what? What is it?
6: Ooh, where do you want to start, mate? So
0: just it, give it was, us month stressful. A, it,
6: well, it was. It was. Jonathan had a junior team in Colorado that turned into an under-23 team that turned into an under-23 team that did a four-week block in Europe to a team that was trying to do the Giro on the Tour overnight. Uh, a lot of the staff – I remember going to the Giro d'Italia in 2008 and I was the only member of the staff who'd ever been to the to a Grand Tour. So there was people – and I was a rider and my, I went there as a rider the year before. So 2007, Giro d'Italia, I was there as a rider. 2008, there, I was there as a manager. So there was a lot of people who were just totally out of their depth. So that brings a lot of insecurity. So you've got people, new people doing logistics. We bought secondhand busted buses and trucks. We had people who, yeah you know, staff who come from America for the first time and they're at the Giro two months into working in professional cycling or the Tour de France four months into working in the sport. So there was just so much new that people hadn't really got into a rhythm or, you know, yeah yeah. The, the beauty of the team we're with at the moment, we, we're coming into year 10 and we've got 85% of our staff from 2012 and everyone just knows their role, knows what they're responsible for and they just get on with it. And that's the difference between a new team and, a, and a, an established team that everyone knows what they're capable of. They know the people they're working with and we're all new. We hadn't worked together with, it to each, with each other, and especially at that level and that level of pressure.
10: Dan, let, let me give you an example. So, I I I got to go across the line first in the team, Tom Shraw, so the pink jersey. And so I had to after the podium, I had to go to the press conference. And the team was so psyched that they're all partying on the bus. They went back to the hotel. They they left me, man. They, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're we're in Palermo, you know? I mean, you might as well, I mean, be like in, <laughs> in and I took a cab home in the Rosa and the cab <laughs> driver did not believe me that that was actually the pink jersey of why the hell would you be in my cab you know and so he dropped me back off at the team hotel <laughs> and, I, and I threw Whitey in the pool. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. That is a True great story.
1: story. I love it. Yeah. That. <laughs> ah, that is sensational.
0: But the riders the feed off that like chaos like does it can it work both ways Or it sounds like your group just you had your shit together and you could move forward but that that could obviously have negative effects if if you start feeding off oh geez hang on I don't think the staff really know what they're doing here. yeah
10: no there, there is a point in time where things are like hey this is this is not okay you know these guys like like why do you said I, I'd forgotten about that but that's so true there's a lot of those guys who had no idea and we had uh, the, the Garmin, <laughs> it's okay to say now, but the Garmin's didn't really work that well in Europe, especially. And so, we, we'd find ourselves in people's backyards trying to find our way back home <laughs> to the hotel. <Like> <laughs> really, really, Sounds it was like fun. a detour.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a detour. That, that, that was a fantastic. Insight. Uh, and yeah. for all those people out there that you know want to get into podcasts, for that, yeah, you know, a bit of pat on the back is press people when they skim over stuff. So when Whitey said it was stressful, and you want to sort of skim over it, dig because if you dig, that's when you get the gold out. And as you saw with your interview with Dave Brailsford, also yeah. if you have snippets of information, feed that into the interview. So one thing I remember is yeah. we both went to the Garmin after party, and one year they had Pharrell, and they spent so much money on these. Tour de France after-party. So it's like, well, of course we're going to talk about that because that's what I remember about Garmin those days. And this is when they were talking about the after-parties in a famous training camp at, uh, I think it was the Cayman Islands. Yeah, one thing Garmin did really well was um, post-tour parties. I remember going and seeing Pharrell at a nightclub once, sponsored by POM. I mean, those, those days are long gone, particularly with COVID. But I mean, just so- talking about chemistry, yeah. how important were these parties?
10: They were important. Yeah, we, we threw some good ones that, you know, didn't, didn't hold back to that. But, uh, but the worst part was that I crashed out of to the tour. So I was one of, you know, Tyler and I were like, well, you know, what kind of guy? You know, they asked us, Palm asked us, what, you know, we want a band. Who do you guys want? And Tyler, like, let's go big. Let's let's try to get uh, Nerd and Pharrell. I was like, no way. We can't get him. They're like, well, all right, fine. Let's try it. And then I crashed out. I didn't even get to go. Still, that, 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 that's not one of the products. Mate,
0: I, I don't know how I got a ticket, but I, I remember you being... probably got it on me, maybe.
10: Jonesy. In fact, I think I
0: did. I think we did. You on the last day. You were like dealing these deck of yeah. cards. Mate, you want to go to a party? Thinking like, hey, what, what sort of party is this? He goes, yeah, mate, nerd or something? I think the band's nerd. We're going, what? Yeah. No, 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 no way. It's like, yeah, yeah. Mate, 300 people. He's there busting out. Whatever yeah, songs yeah. private, be private time, gig,
6: but... private gig, just off the say eh? it, it was a big one.
0: But but we've mentioned this a few times, Whitey. Some of the things you did at Garmin. I mean, it it was just fun, and and that is actually pretty important. Like even the um, famous training camp at the the Cayman Islands. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For the listeners, can you just summarize what the training camp was? And uh well, well
6: yeah. firstly firstly let's wind it back a little bit it was not a training camp. Okay. <laughs> it was a get what, what together. Happened? Right. It was a
0: get together. It's important for chemistry. This is the whole thing. It was theme important show, for right. chemistry.
6: It was. Yeah. All right, I'll set the picture so it was Garmin was merging merging with Cervelo. So there was uh it was a, it was like a last minute merge uh they were coming with six or seven riders the world champion Thor Hushold uh, a few other, a few other key guys, and uh, we needed, we needed to do something. I think we were, we were losing three or four riders, but they'll come coming with six or seven. We're we'll keeping twenty. Uh, boom, there's the merger. cervello uh, garment. Boom. Anyway, so Jonathan had done a deal with the Cayman Islands tourist, the Tourism Department that they would give us free, uh, free accommodation, and it was only for three days. Um, but everyone would fly in. So most of the team was in North America, so the flights are pretty cheap. And then there was a group of us, and I, I flew with Brett Lancaster and one other Australian. I can't I can't remember who, but we spent we spent just as long getting to the Cayman Islands as we're actually in the Cayman Islands, and uh, because we had to go we had to go to Los Angeles, then Los Angeles, Miami, Miami, down to Cayman Islands, and we were there we were there for forty eight hours. And it was just a get-together, a couple of meetings, and then a couple of dinners, just a, just a bit of bonding. We played one, one, was one activity that was quite interesting was the, uh, the, the treasure hunt across the whole island of Cayman Islands, which got a little bit messy. Um, but it was, it was a good, good couple of days uh, from what I remember of it. And then we got back uh, on our planes and headed back across the world uh, another 20 hours plus of travel.
0: Is that, is that how you remember it, Christian?
10: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember a few more things than does, and what he does. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a special camp. That, that's for sure. Yeah, Ryder came over to my house in Chicago, and we flew on down together. Um, and unfortunately for myself, we had booked a, a vacation at the Cayman Islands the week before. Before we knew this was going to happen. So I I came back home for two days and I turned around and went back to the same place. You can't make that shit up. I was was so bummed. Whitey came up and he was so excited during the welts. Hey, guys, we're going to go to training camp in Cayman Islands. Like, no, that sucks. So there was a lot of Cayman Islands here. And
6: there's, there's not, and there's not too much to see on the Cayman Islands. It, it's very, very small. You can see from one oh, – I remember getting up there and we'd had a bit of a night out the night before and I looked out my window of my uh, of my hotel and I saw these
0: apartments.
6: I looked across it up on the second floor. So I looked across and saw these apartments and I'm like, these apartments are moving. And I'm like, whoa, what the hell has happened here? And what it was is it was a cruise ship pulling out. But because the island, <laughs> because the island is so flat, and I was just like, "Whoa, oh!" And, and uh, these apartments were like moving out to sea, and I was like, "I oh, know." I worked out what it was pretty quick, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was a good couple of days.
1: One guy oh, who I reckon, is I reckon there's, there's something getting swept under the carpet here. Now, come on, Whitey. You've admitted that you haven't got great memories of it. Christian, you're saying you can remember it better than Whitey. What was the mate? what happened, Whitey? Okay, okay. There's, there, 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 there's,
10: there's one that I have to say. Cause this is Perfect, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> right. Sorry, Whitey. Uh, Whitey woke up in somebody's front yard standing up. <laughs> that's that's all i gotta say he was standing up and, just, and he just he came to and we had to go find him and the sun was up and it was uh yeah that was uh it was like a fine where, where's waldo but well, we got whitey back
6: it was in someone's stairwell
10: it was in the apartment stairwell but you are
6: right i did it was, yeah it was a
2: very in
6: tra- i got a little bit lost in the treasure hunt <laughs> and didn't end up finding the treasure, but found my way back to the hotel anyway. Well,
0: one guy you talked to about that trip, who's, who's I don't think he's scarred, is Brett Lancaster. Like I say, I always came in on, like, you oh, know, no, no, mate. Uh, I, I seriously got crooked. That is like, I've never had alcohol poisoning, but I was poisoned. Seriously yeah, Matt, sick.
10: Matt, Matt Wilson was there as well. I
6: mean, That's who it was. At. Yeah, yeah, me, Wilson, me, Maddie, and, and Bert went travel for 25 hours to go to a place for 48 hours and then turn around and went back
0: home. <laughs> well, what is it? What what is the fine line with all that sort of stuff? We often talk about, oh, you wouldn't do that nowadays because of this and that. But um, I don't know. I think if it's starting to come back round again in terms of is there a huge risk if you do do like a, a couple of days of bonding because then people could take advantage of like, oh, well, you're having a few beers or whatever. Or do you think that there is you know, merit and it, and it is important?
6: Oh, look, I think there's a time and a place, that's for sure. And I think the, the, the problem now is uh, is having that time and a place with the team and not with the general public. And, you know, yeah, I think like I think get-together bonding is really good and has a good value with your teammates. The, the problem now is that everyone's phone has a camera and everyone <laughs> yeah, has okay. social media. And so mm. the things that you could do, 10 or 15 years ago, and just have a bit of fun with the, with the boys and have a few drinks out. Well, that even even perception, you know, if these days professional athletes are seen to be professional 365 days a year. That ain't true. And, and, the, and riders need time to, to relax and, and spend time with their teammates or have time with their families in, in an off-season. But I think there's definitely a time and a place, but that, that, that window is totally different now with riders compared to what it was when, uh, yeah, 15 years ago.
0: Yeah, great insights there and, and great storytelling. Like, once you get those boys going, it's bloody hilarious. Um, And, yeah, I, I remember they used to always tell stories about that famous, like, Cayman Islands trip, and they were
1: just – I was in stitches. Yeah, so true. And a- as Whitey just said, everyone's got a uh, movie camera now. Yeah. iPhone movie camera. So things you used to do. You can't do anymore. Uh, I could tell you there'd, there'd be some good uh, footage uh, of the early days in my time as well, if, if anyone had it. But no, yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, it, wonderful insights. And they're obviously two really good mates, Christian van der Velde. Some of the stuff he was saying, I love the way he pulled Whitey up. And that's a good thing. Ask an extra question and you get that little bit uh, more mm. information.
0: Yeah. that's it now the last uh, snippet we uh, heard from CJ Sutton uh early in the best of episode uh it was a really good insight into what he thinks the keys to success are uh but then he, he you know he also had some battles with some mental health uh you know things along the way uh and his insights on that was was really really good as well so uh we'll, we'll show this clip wrap things up and uh yeah here's CJ Sutton
3: I think you can turn it around. Um, you know, you, you do need to have some talent there, um, you know, but if someone believes that they can be there, then why not? Like, I, mm. I was just a young kid and, you know, I used to grow up, used to race home from either footy practice or soccer, um, soccer practice or, you know, when I was still riding a bike as a, as a, as a little whippet doing the Um, Tuesday or Thursday training sessions. I used to rush home and watch the highlights um, on SBS of the Tour de France and, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I want to be a professional one day. I want to ride the Tour de France and this and that. Um, You know, I always had a dream that I wanted to ride for Confidence. I always liked them as a kid growing up. You know, one thing I never did was ride the Tour de France, but I actually rode for Coffertus and I actually got to be a professional bike rider. And mm. here, here I am, just a little kid from the Sutherland Shire. Mm. So, you know, dreams and goals, like write it down. Things do happen, things do come true. I got to live my childhood dream for over mm. 10 years. Mm. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, you can have a bit of talent, but it's dedication. How much do you want it? You know, mm. I, I did my apprenticeship as a carpenter. You know, I used to work down in Wollongong, a place called Jade Kitchens. Um, so I was fully, I'm a fully qualified carpenter even though, you know, I worked as a as a cabinet maker. Um, but I remember a few days riding home, used to have a back backpack on, like right home from Wollongong, bucketing down rain, 70-odd K home. But, you know, I look back now and laugh and just be like, well, that obviously helped me to get to where I wanted to be. So, Do
0: you think, do you think this mental resilience, because I'm loving this stuff, I'm loving these areas, mate, this mental resilience... How important is this because do you feel that this at a time in our lives is the biggest crossroads that mentally we're going to have to rely on all the tools that you've learned to persevere and get through this. And then if you do feel that you're in a good spot, how important is it to sort of share the tools that you've learned to help others to get through these tough moments that we're in at the moment?
3: Yeah. Oh, big time. I mean, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, And obviously, Mental health is a big thing. Um, Like, obviously, I was forced into early retirement with a back injury. Um, Me, personally, I went through depression. Um, Mm. You know, I got married at the end of 2015. Um, I pretty much spent all of December laying on the floor um, just because of, like, my back, the way it was. Um, Yeah, I just got married, like, beautiful wife, Um, you know, and... I think there's a certain certain thing like athletes are so so strong mentally because you know everything that you put yourself through the training you know training in the rain you know racing in Europe in the snow whatever you're doing athletes are mentally strong and I sort of you know put on like 16 kilos when I retired um but I had that how-to moment in the mirror, like, after about six months, seven months, and I was like, you muppet, wake up yourself. Like, mm. you know, you're fat, you got married, you know, you got a beautiful wife um, who loves you, hasn't left you, and, you know, y- you want to start a family and have kids, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, get your shit together.
4: So,
2: mm.
3: uh, you know, I went back to doing a lot of the stuff that I was doing at Team Sky I was um, you know, eating portion controls, uh like portion controlled food, like um, you know, just doing protein days and all I could do because of my back, all I could do was walk every day. So mm. in six weeks, I lost 15 kilos in six weeks and I felt good, I felt better and yeah, anyway, I, I never wanted surgery on my back because you know, the the outcome wasn't gonna be that great. Um so, and I wanted to be able to pick up kids like when we had kids one day and now we've got two. So I just wanted to let my back or let my body do what it does and heal naturally, um, which it has done like with previous injuries before I retired. Um, and, yeah, now it's just like, yeah, I'm good. We've got two kids, can run around, pick them up, throw them around, have, have a ball. Because, because you've gone through such a tough moment
0: of your life and now you're sort of coming out the other side can you see triggers in people a lot quicker because you've experienced it? And then, what is the key things you say to people when they are and you think shit? Hang on, a good friend or whatever is going through depression here. You know, how do you react with that?
3: Yeah, uh, my, my like everyone knows that I I do I that I have spoken about like that I've gone through depression. A lot of people know that, um, so a lot of people have reached out. Um, everyone knows, everyone that I talk to, like I'll touch base with them every once in a while just to see how they're going. Um, but I know, I know if there's an issue, someone will contact me. So mm-hmm. I do try and talk to as many people as I can. Um, but you know, if there is an issue, like I've had athletes in the past that have been struggling and they they have called me, um, not people that I've been coaching, um, but they have called me and just pick my brain, and I suppose that's where the mentoring side comes into, into it as well. Um, so, and I'm happy to help out all young kids too because I want to see young kids, I want to see Australian cycling grow because um, I just don't think it's there as much as what it was previously at the moment. So, um, but, like, for all people, like, if anyone is struggling, like, it's, and there's all ads out there, and it, it's so true, it, It's it ain't weak to speak, like... Yeah, you know, it's oh, yeah, and we're, we're, we had Vaughn on um the other day, and,
0: and they're part of the Mental Wheels Foundation, so that's mentalwheelsfoundation.org. They're doing a lot of great stuff with mental health and incorporating cycling and so forth, but I, yeah, you're dead right, mate. Like there's there's such an awareness now because we are at a period in our lives where it's like this this is going to really test, and if you don't connect, if you don't communicate, if you don't reach out, you don't support each other. Um, And getting that positive mindset and and the the insights that you're passing on, mate, is huge, I think. And the Uh, fact that being able to be comfortable, being vulnerable, you know, being able to talk about, being able to put your hand up and go, hey, there's a point in my life I really struggle but being comfortable because you know every time you share that story, CJ, that connects with someone, that makes them feel comfortable, and then they're willing to open and share and put their hand up. It's
3: great. Yeah, I I agree. Like, But, uh, I mean, why... You know you you sort of it's not about me but you know i did everything right in my mind you know uh, my upbringing um i always had a plan like you know where i wanted to go what i wanted to do you know what i wanted to do if that didn't happen and and so on so you know i left school um after year 10 um, got my certificate did my apprenticeship as a as a builder um so i'm fully qualified builder um and i always still had that dream that i wanted to be a professional cyclist if that didn't happen i had something to fall back on so you know and that's that's where it was hard for me and i'm just speaking from my experience is i obviously when i was forced into early retirement with my injury i couldn't fall back on my building apprenticeship because of my back so there was a no-go so i didn't really think about much much more um but you know you can work out what you're good at and you know that that's why i started i i was bored so i did a lot of study with health and nutrition um and then i was like well you know i always said i wanted to give back to the sport what i know learn coaching so you know i i i know how to coach because i learned a lot from my dad and my uncle um so i can implement that and help help young people out just you know i was a young kid wanted to See the world, so you know what's to say? Little Johnny can't do the same thing.
0: Yeah, it was fantastic insights from CJ. He, he just spoke so open, honest, raw, and as we said, uh, in that interview, when, when you're comfortable being vulnerable, that's when you connect, and uh, he did that fantastically. So, yeah. that was, a, that was <laughs> a great interview, great way to finish. But we had a lot, I,
1: like, I, like, I like those two that and it's not weak to speak a hundred percent
0: the skull he said joe's stories are great i think he <laughs> meant john these are the live comments tom maloney said too right aussies make the commitment cycling mag editor uh, took john nicholson murray hall and myself out to lunch there's no free lunch he reported in the next week's edition my comment lots of poms just want to be king of their own dunghill rather than take the trip across the channel Got me in deep with some of the riders, <laughs> <laughs> and then a LinkedIn user said, "I worked on a tour as a guide, and the Garmin sent me up the back of up the ways. Finally, some redemption." So these are the <laughs> the Garmin stories, but now nah, we want to say thanks, as we did in the last step to all the listeners, all the support, Bike Exchange, uh, everyone that's got behind it, Amy Gill Foundation, um, and we really hope that 2022 is going to be an absolute cracker for everyone. Uh, that's tuned in. Uh, Andy Matthews, another regular uh, person to comment. Thanks for another great show. Nice to hear that side of CJ's story um, and all the, yeah, the the viewers and listeners, if they've been
1: massive. Yeah, look, you know, it was interesting, as I mentioned the other day, you know, Phil Liggett, I thanked him for being on the show uh, so much. He said, no, thank you. Without his little involvement with us, you know, he doesn't know what he would have done. It was so special to him because he was stuck at home uh, as well. And so the fact that you and I, Dan, have been able to do this right through this year Mm. has made it really, really special. And it wouldn't happen without our great sponsors that we just just mentioned, uh, you know, Bike Exchange and Amy Gilliland who helped us. But without... All of the Detour family, as I call them, who, who are listening all the time. And it, it, it's brilliant. So we're about to uh, tomorrow. We're, we're heading to, It's New Year's Eve. So in Australia, for those over there, you've got a day and a half to go. But I'd just like to... Thank you, Dan, for the amazing job you've done. I just waffle on and you do all the hard work, as you keep telling me. But mm, uh, it, it's, time. It, it's been an, an amazing friendship over quite a few years, but a, a, a lot of fun. And I'd like to thank all our fans. So, for those who can we'll see you at the Bay Crits in just uh, a, a week and a half, uh, it's not that far away. Um, not that we have to do any to attract you, but there is a giveaway e bike coming from RV Parts. Just uh, if you're at the event, this wonderful e bike for uh, the M1 e Tura Ripper. uh rode it the other day. Amazing. So turn up at the Bay Chris and you, someone will win this uh, that bike. But anyway. It's story. And,
0: and remember, tell your mates about the show, youtube.com forward slash the detour podcast. Hey, guys, as Johnny said, have a fantastic New Year's Eve. Thanks for all your support. And 2022 will be an absolute belter compared to the last couple of years because the bar is so low. <laughs> See, you. <laughs> See you next year, guys.
2: This is the winning ride of the Tour de France, Benjamin.